welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we are chatting with a chef who is on a mission to dominate food television. During our chat, we talk about how he got started cooking, including time spent in Beijing for the 2008 Summer Olympics. We talk all about his restaurant in Louisville, his family, his eight kids, and of course, all of the Food Network shows that he's part of. Plus, he tells us the story of how he picked up his super chef nickname. You know him from winning Ultimate Thanksgiving Challenge and competing on Guys Grocery Games, Beat Bobby Flay, and TOC. And right now, you can catch him judging on Chopped Next Gen and Grill of Victory. It is the one and only super chef, Darnell Ferguson. Darnell, welcome to the podcast. Uh, or would you prefer I call you by your your middle name, Super Chef? <laughs> That's the only name that really matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are so excited to have you on Food Network Obsessed today. We have so much to talk about. Obviously, Chopped Next Gen, Grill of Victory, Tournament of Champions. You are all over the network. We're going to get to all of that very soon. But I do want to start with this nickname, Super Chef. How did you pick up that nickname? It came to me multiple times. So I kind of I let it stick with me the second time somebody called me. Uh, it was first given to me when I was working at a restaurant. And uh, I kind of like buried the chef. We were both working the same station and um, he just couldn't keep up with me. I've always been, it's always been a gift of mine in the kitchen. So he couldn't really keep up with me. And then the line like made a little joke at the end of the shift. I was like, oh, you think you're the super chef now? <laughs> and then uh, when I went to the Olympics and cooked for USA teams, I had the same mentality I did there. I, I kind of, I was young then. I thought I was really good then. And one of the guys was like, man, you think you're a super chef or something, don't you? And I was like, you know what? That's the last time somebody going to call me that without me like making it into a positive. So we got Olympic tattoos while we was in China and everybody, they got something Olympic on them or something because a lot of these guys do all the Olympics. And I was like, you know what, what should I get? And I was like, I'm getting super chef. <laughs> and it kind of stuck. But it was different when it stuck because at that point and still to this day, super chef, people calling me super chef is still a little weird because like chefs are usually just called by their first and last name. You look at Guy Fieri, you look at every single person. It's just a first and last name thing. So for me to have a name that's not, that's not, wasn't my full name name. It was like almost at Ali, you know what I'm saying? Saying I'm the greatest before I was even it. <laughs> I like that. I like that comparison. And you actually legally changed your middle name to Super Chef. Is that right? Yeah, I had to. You know, the networks wasn't using it. I was like, let me make this legal. <laughs> you know, it I love all, it. I love it. It was always that that distance on if they can use it or not. So I was like, you know what? I'm make it. I didn't have a middle name either. So that's good to know. I didn't have one. So it, oh, it was okay. easy. You mentioned Beijing and traveling to the Olympics. That was back in 2000. You were with 20 other student chefs cooking for Team USA. I mean, since you brought it up, I, I'm just so curious what that experience was like and, and how it kind of paved the way for the rest of your your culinary career. It was the probably the rocket that took my career off, uh, even though after I got back, I had some some issues to deal with. But it was a thing that kind of made me believe I could do more than what I had seen but done before. You know, like I hadn't seen what I've seen in the Olympics. I'd never traveled the country, never really been to that many states before. So when I went to the Olympics, it opened my mind up to say, like, I can almost do anything I want to do. I can be anything I want to be that I'm supposed to be, you know. So it took me to a whole different place. And it made me when I came back to the United States, it, t- it turned me into something totally different. Like when I got back, no one could work with me. No one could like 
stay at my pace. No one could do what I would do and never look for money because I had already experienced something that was so life giving. And I understood that if I give a life, a lot to this industry, I'll get a lot back out of it. So when I came back from the, what the real effect was when I came back from the Olympics, um, what that impression had, I was a whole different type of chef then. I was just ready to tackle the world. After you cook for 16,000 people in a day, Cooking for wow. measly, cooking for measly 200 is easy. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what is that? Like, this isn't a headache. This isn't stress. I've seen stress. I've seen headaches. This isn't it. I mean, what happened over there that, that kind of, you know, lit that fire? Was it just the fact that you were cooking, like you said, for 16,000 people and, and being able to do it and being able to keep up and being able to, you know, believe in yourself? Is, is that kind of what happened over there? Or was there like a specific, you know, incident or event? Well, there's a lot of things that happened over there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things happened. But the thing that happened most was that I was around other chefs that were, you know, we went as a group, but there were actual like chefs there, like, you know, people who ran things. And to see those chefs never complain, work 20 hours in a day, to see those chefs, the way they carried themselves, the way their mentality was. And that kind of came back with me. Like I was with people. We worked, you know, we worked about 12 to 14, 16 hours a day. And no one ever complained about one thing. Like there was nothing to complain about. And that kind of came back with me. It was those experiences. It was the fact that when we went over there, I was expecting to see like recipes for everything. And there was no recipes. That's probably why I do so good on competition shows. Because <laughs> when I was thrown in the fire in the Olympics, they expected you to be something good already. They're like, you didn't make it this far. You didn't get chosen because you needed recipes. You got chosen because you were good. I was like, you know what? I am good. Let me go ahead and make this recipe up. <laughs> you know? Uh, and those kind of things like, it was times where like at that point in my career, I had never made some of the things they were asking me to make. So I, re I realized how resourceful I could be. Like I would go in a corner real quick and go on the internet and Google the recipe and then go back. I know how to cook. I just didn't know how to make that dish. And then I would learn it in like 45 seconds, you know, and then I had to go back there with confidence and cook it in front of everybody and make it seem like I knew what I was doing, you know? So those kind of, those kind of events kind of change everything for you. You start to believe in yourself in a whole different way. Absolutely. I mean, that's so that's so fascinating and, and such a good point about, you know, the competition shows and being able to to figure things out really quickly and think on your feet and just, you know, be able to cook without recipes, I think, obviously, is, is very important. But clearly you you had this this interest and this knack for cooking before that. I mean, what about cooking and being a kitchen um, really drew you to that that career? Uh, it was Emerald. It was a single moment in really? life. Yeah, it was so easy. Like I could, I could tell you, cause I cooked when I was a little kid, but we did like some hood cooking. You know, we used to like warm up our pizza <laughs> from the night before at my cousin's house. Like I went over to my cousin's house every single weekend and we used to like do our own little creations for breakfast, you know, like put cheese and cereal, like make the slushies. And we used to do all these little things. But then when I started watching Food Network with Emerald and Emerald Live, that kind of changed everything. I was like, you know what? I like this dude. You know, it was something about him. He was different. And I was like, I like him. And I like his chef coat too, because I always <laughs> tell people like I was thinking about going in the military while I was in high school. I wanted to be like a Navy SEAL. And um, so I love uniforms. I love structure. And that was something that drew me to Emerald was that uniform, but also styles cooking. I had never seen it like that. So therefore that kind of drew me in. And I went to vocational school my junior year in high school. And that was what like catapult. That's what like took my teacher. She either was a really good encourager or a really good liar because she told me all <laughs> kinds of things. That I don't know if they were true or not. Like she first time in vocational school because of watching Emerald. I was like, you know, I want to be a chef. I'm going to go to vocational school. And 
I remember like my first week in there, they had us like do a knife skills. They used to get these little boards with all the knife cuts on them, like a brunoise, badet, everything is on this little board. And she said, I want you to do all these knife cuts. She gave me a knife. I was like, you know, no one's ever gave me a knife before, right? And she starts laughing. <laughs> and um, she comes back in like 20 minutes and all my cuts are perfect. And she was like, how long have you been doing this for? And I was like, I've never cut nothing before in my life. Like I've never had, like I've never cut anything. No one's, I've never seen a chef knife before. We only use like them little tiny knives. So I had never seen a chef knife before. So when she seen me do that with that knife and that potato, she was like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You needed to be on our competition teams. You're going to do this. Like this is going to be what you do. And I'm like, I've been waiting. I've been wanting somebody to tell me that for a long time because I play sports. But I was never that good that I was that person they would tell that to. You know, <laughs> I'm the kind of person to say, just come to practice tomorrow. You know, like don't miss practice. But she really fed into me and told me something I had been looking for. So as soon as I found that out and I heard that, I kind of stopped caring about sports. It was like, you know what? This is my thing. I've been looking for my thing. Yeah, I remember this was when cooking wasn't popular either. It was just Emerald and that like Martha Stewart. Like this wasn't a popular thing, especially in my community. I used to hide behind the ovens when I went there. No one knew I went to vocational school for culinary arts. It wasn't a thing I would brag about or tell people about because I'm going to school for cooking. And But I don't, nothing around me leads up to why I'm going to school for cooking. That's like in my neighborhood and back in 2002 is what I'm talking about. Like it wasn't the cool thing to do. And it became I mean, it sounds like, you know, you had that competitive spirit from sports and, and you kind of transferred that into cooking. And it seems like you kind of have that with everything you do. You you want to be the super chef. You want to dominate, you know, food, television and, and all these things. So I can see I can see that competitive spirit and that fire. And I'm not surprised that that story you told about your, your teacher kind of is the thing that kind of sparked that. And, and you mentioned cooking breakfast with your cousins and that kind of thing. And you have a a, a very specifically breakfast restaurant, breakfast and brunch, Super Chefs, of course, is the name in Louisville, Kentucky. I peeked at the menu, very creative. And I'm going to just tell you, I need I need the wings and waffles <laughs> in my life. Uh, I love chicken and waffles. I love wings. So I love that you have combined the two into a breakfast dish. Where does that breakfast passion come from? It came from um, me working inside of uh, one of the top hotels in the country, right? And I was running breakfast at that time. And I was new to the, I was, say, I was new to the uh, restaurant. And so therefore I'm just in training, right? So I'm just training. I'm not as much worried about the menu as I am worried about the ingredients and how to execute it. So weeks go by and then I finally look at the menu and I'm like, what? Are we charging this much for this? I'm like, oh my gosh. I told myself that I could do this and charge way less. And that's where it kind of sparked. I was like, man, I couldn't believe what we were charging people for just like, for like yogurt and like fresh oats and honey and like fruit. I'm like, man, you charge people $15 for that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and they paying for it. So I, that's where it first sparked that is that I thought I could do what they did. It's not necessarily better because better is always like an opinion, but I thought I could do it at the same level, but different. And then that's where I started thinking about doing a breakfast restaurant at. And uh, it just sparked from there. And I thought that breakfast at that point, when I opened up Super Chef's the first pop-up, because we started off in pop-up restaurants, that's when I felt like I could do something that hadn't been really done yet. It was just at that point, you, you got Bob Evans. We had like two independent breakfast restaurants in the whole city. So I'm like, oh, this is my niche. No one's worried about it. And to be honest with you, no chef is going to dive into it because you've never seen a breakfast chef before. Like they're, they're just line cooks. For me being a chef, I thought that I was I would stand out because like I would be crossing over to something that no one had crossed over to before in my in my city, which was like really being culinary, but in the breakfast field. And that's over 10 years ago. I'm talking about it was hard for me at the beginning because all my friends were really good chefs 
And for me to go do breakfast, I think that they didn't take me as like, what are you doing, bro? Like no one, we don't do this. Like we do breakfast, but it's not like, it's not like dinner. And I had to turn breakfast into dinner. I, I love it. I mean, I love breakfast. I love brunch. Um, I think it's so clever that you kind of got your start by by kind of approaching these restaurants that only had lunch and dinner and doing these pop ups. I mean, is that something you kind of recognized as as like a void and, and somewhere that you could you could, you know, get your foot in the door? Or was it exactly what you said that you just love breakfast so much that you wanted to make that your thing? When we got to doing our pop ups, that was only because I had been let down by so many people who said they would invest in a restaurant. Like I had already signed a lease at one space and then a guy just disappeared off the face of the earth for six months who was giving the other money. And I had just been through so much at that point that I would take anything. And a guy came over to me while I was sitting at McDonald's one day across because I had went to him to get advice on numbers. I was like, my space I'm looking for is about the same size as your restaurant. Can you let me know how much your rent is, your LG&E is, well, your electric, your water, that way I can plug those into my plan. He found out that I wasn't doing my restaurant anymore. And he seen me sitting at McDonald's one day. He walked over to me and was like, hey, Darnell, I heard what happened. I feel really bad for you, man. I really do, man, because I, I know that you really wanted that bad. He's like, but what about this? He's like, why don't you come into my space while I'm closed? And we kind of like do two restaurants in one. And I'm like, mm. tell me how this works. He's like, I'm not open. <laughs> He's like, I'm not open for in the mornings. I just do lunch and dinner. And I'm like, okay, I'll think about it. No one had done this and it was, doesn't sound smart. It sounds like something I would never want to do in my life. Cause I come from Syria. I came from the Olympics to nice five diamond restaurants to this guy who owns a gyro place asking me to do a pop-up in his store because he knew I couldn't get my own restaurant. So I'm already going through a lot of stuff emotionally and mentally. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. whatever, man. I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit. I talked to one of my friends who had asked me about doing a restaurant years ago. I was like, hey, what do you think about this? And he was, and it was so inexpensive to do, but it was, I didn't have no money. So it was expensive to me, but it only cost like $2,000. And I called somebody and he was like, I'll fund it. I'll move. He moved down and he moved down within a week, left everything. He dropped out of school. He moved down and we opened this pop-up restaurant up that at that time hadn't been done in Louisville yet. We would operate from five in the morning to 10.30 a.m. And that was our hours of operation. And what we would do is we would put flyers, like the kind of club flyers that you would find out, little square flyers. We would put uh -huh. those on everyone's car. So we were up 24 hours a day. We would put those wow. on people's car when they went to sleep, but they had to be sleep because we couldn't go into a parking lot and it not be full. Right. <laughs> so we were like every <laughs> we would do it like one in the morning because, you know, one in the morning, everyone's at their house. So we would head up everywhere in the neighborhood surrounding us. And when people woke up, they would know the super chefs was right there. It just started off with one pop up. And within a month, three people asked us if we could do the same thing inside their place, because what we did is we turned this guy's gyro place that no one went into into this big place that everybody wants to come to now. So other businesses who were struggling now, he wasn't struggling when he asked us. But now other businesses who aren't doing anything with this with their space in this time, who like what we're doing, started asking us. So we did another pop up a month later somewhere else. So now we got two pop ups in one summer. And then now we got a third place to ask. So we had three still in three months. And now, so we're starting to get all this notoriety in the city. Everyone's talking about this restaurant that's in the back of restaurants. And then for, you know, we have four. It gets wow. to a place to where we're like, man, this is crazy. We didn't expect that the food would be received the way it was. But I feel like the reason why we were so successful so early is that we didn't wait to be great. We didn't wait till we had a restaurant space to do restaurant quality food. We weren't like, a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm doing a pop-up. I'm just doing this as a sample. No, you got to give 100% of what you are because you want people to come back. So that's what we did. The plating was there. The style was there. The menu, everything. It was just off the hook. 
So except for the decor, the decor was gyro, uh, you know, so <laughs> the decor was gyro. He let us put a little sign that had our menu in there, but everything else was his. So you came in, it was yellow and whatever. Yeah, you walk in, you're going to see some pictures of gyros everywhere. So it was confusion. So we, we did a pop up one in that same summer at a place called the Ruby Slipper, a consignment store. That's how this thing got like wow. everywhere at a consignment there, store. Is there a kitchen at the consignment store? They had, a, they had a little kitchen in the back. So he said, hey, can you do this at our place? And at first I told him, I said, nope, never going to happen. Because it was literally like we were the, the throwback thrift store of Cracker Barrel. Like you walk in and there's thrift <laughs> everywhere. Like it's a consignment store. So, but they were like, old consignment store. So you're talking about like vintage everything. And then we had a wall that came up and then we were behind the wall. Right. And so what happened is, is that people would come in and hear about super chefs, but then they would never come in. They would never eat because they seen what the place looked like. And I was like, no, I'm good. Somebody told me to come here and eat, but we're okay. We'll try somewhere else. And I said, I mean, I used to kill my spirit uh-huh. because all you had to do was make it past the wall and you would be okay. <laughs> you know, but most people, <laughs> most people wouldn't make it past that wall because of how it looked inside. And we couldn't control that. We didn't have the finances. We were just trying to do the best that we could do what we had. And if you made it back to where we were at, where we put a wall up at and had some tables and chairs and still had some purses hanging behind you because it's still a consignment store, you would see that these guys are really good at what they do. They just don't have the, the setting they would like. So we did that for a long time before we were able to get our own spot. Yeah. How did you go from consignment store to actual, you know, brick and mortar restaurant? Well, the good thing about the pop-ups were a lot of people came in and a lot of people loved what we did. And you'll get people who could see your vision. But man, you just, this is better than everywhere else we've ever been. Um, and eventually people wanted to invest. And that's where it came from. People that invested in our startup were just our customers. But they had money and they would start up. So we did our first restaurant in Ohio. And then the second one we uh, did in Ohio because it was so hard to find a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, because Louisville was at that point and still maybe today it was the number two per capita for restaurants per people. So we really? yeah, Louisville is packed with independent restaurants. I mean, on top of each other, left, right, up, down. This is the place to come eat. So because of that, there's never any spaces. Everyone was building. Whereas for me, I can't build. I just need to rent. So it took us a year to find a location in Louisville. But when we finally did, we found a beautiful store. And then within six months, it caught on fire and burned down. So it's like, Ugh. it never got, and I, my story never, ever seems to get any rest. It works out. How did you get through that devastating event? I mean, it just seems like you said there a lot of your life has kind of been one thing after another, one challenging, you know, thing that you had to kind of overcome. How did you get through? You know, you finally get your your dream restaurant and then it burns down. I think I got through it because at that point, by the time that restaurant burned down, I had been through so much stuff in my life that I started to learn from what I went through in my life. And I had the right people around me at that time that were telling me, um, that I was more than just a chef. Up until that point, because I feel like a lot of times people think like even in competition shows, when your back's against the wall, you're going to be this amazing person. It doesn't work like that. You know, what happens is who you've been before that will eventually come out at that moment. So because I have been working on myself, my personal, my spiritual life, like not just being a chef, but like working on like my personal attributes in life. And I had a really good group of men around me that kind of reminded me of those things. And like, you're more than a chef. This is what you do. Yes, you're a chef, but that's not just who you are. So by the time the restaurant got on fire, I was able to deal with that because I had already been preparing myself to learn from what I've been through. So I was able to help my staff out. I was able to be a leader at that point because I had already been doing the work daily I needed to. So it kind of helped me out a lot. And I've read that you specifically, you know, try to hire younger employees and kind of help provide that mentoring for them. 
Is that why that's so important to you? Oh, for sure. Because the one thing I mean, I could tell you, I literally was talking to a chef yesterday and I was telling him, I was like, man, the reason why I'm so patient with chefs and I'm so patient with young cooks and patient with employees is because no one was patient with me. I had to be perfect as day one. You know, I didn't have any grace anywhere I went to, but it also helped make me great, too. So I will say that it also plays a part to why it's important for me to make sure I'm doing my part with the next generation. And that's why I always tell people, like, I won't be the executive chef's favorite chef in the world. But I guarantee I'm his line cook's favorite chef because <laughs> that's my that's my message. That's my thing my, to the younger generation. So that by the time these guys who I'm coaching in high school for their competitions and the, the elementary school kids I get to work with, by the time they're getting to be 10 years old, some of them, hopefully I'll be like Emra was to me at that point. And that's the goal is to keep going it and just to pass it down because we do have a very young staff and most people are amazed that our restaurant is so accredited. But when you walk in, it's so young. Do you think if you had had, you know, a, a figure in your life like you are are providing for some of these younger guys and gals, do you think things would have been different or are, are you glad with how everything progressed in your life? and got you to this moment? Oh, I'm glad everything went in my life um, and, and went for me. I wish that I had someone on the business side of life still. Um, like, for instance, like now that I'm getting a little further in business, like now I, I've had those friends from those competition shows, like I could reach out to Brian Malarkey and say, hey, man, how do I go about doing this in Vegas? I'm trying to do this. And he'll sit down, give me every single information that I need to do it. And he'll connect me with somebody to make it happen. So now I, I do all the reaching out, no matter what stage I'm in in my life. I feel like now's the time I need to do what I'm doing to young kids because now I'm trying to get more with Food Network. Now so I'm reaching out to the guy and reaching out to all these people saying, hey, how do I make all these things happen? Well, in addition to being a super chef, you are also a super dad. You have eight kids. Did you come from a big family yourself? No, no, it's just me and my sister. Oh my goodness. I couldn't imagine what life would be like with a lot of us. It was <laughs> sheesh. Well, you do have a lot of you now. I mean, what, what do you guys like to do as a, a family together? Oh my gosh, there's so many <laughs> that uh, we do everything. I mean, we just live life. Like yesterday, it was just like just going out, going out shopping. It could just be going out doing anything. We don't really, we have, it's, it's a lot of us. Like sometimes we look back and look at it and be like, oh my goodness, our car is fully backed. Uh, we have a big <laughs> truck, you know, so we need to look for a, man, a nanny right now so we can make things easier on ourselves. We love going to like the beach. Uh, we like things where they could just run around and play and it's not that many rules around it because there are different ages levels from uh, the little baby all the way to 14 years old. So it's it's uh, the age range is wide. So we try to do something where everybody can just be themselves. Uh, do any of your kids like to cook with you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially uh, my son, Legend. And uh, he's probably the number one. I think the girls, they like to cook with me, but I think they just like to cook with me. Uh, they're not in it for the, the food, whereas Legend, you can tell he loves the food. He loves the skills. He wants to do every single thing. I got one out, one out of eight is good. That's a good ratio. Yeah, for me. No, that's good. <laughs> do you see him following in dad's footsteps or or is it too young to tell? No, for sure. A hundred percent. I see him following a hundred percent. I see him being a chef. Uh, he's a really good looking kid, too. Like he has this very long hair. Uh, like, so I said, oh, my gosh, he's going to have a fantastic culinary career. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is uh, he's the man. And so for sure, him and everyone can see it, too. Like he comes to the restaurant. He wants to be on the line. He's only four years old. So Everyone sees it in him. As soon as oh, he comes in. four? Yeah, he's only four. And you can't stop him from cooking. You can't stop him. If you do anything in that kitchen, for me or my wife, he has to do it with you. Like he tells you, like, oh, I want to do it. Like he's never going to stand back. The girls, you have to catch at the right moment where they want to help you. Um, but him, he'll put everything down. 
every time to help you. <laughs> you, you, you seem like such a, a fun loving, positive guy. How, how do you instill that, that positivity in, in your kids as, as they kind of grow up and become their own, their own person? Well, I've kind of told myself that uh, it's not, it's not going to be my responsibility to uh, make them positive, but it's going to be my responsibility to tell them all the positive things. So I've taken the stress away from myself because it's like, why are y'all negative? Why don't y'all like this? You have a lot going on. But I was like, I just kind of remind them like of what they have. I try to remind them of like how to think about things, how to think about friendships, because, you know, they're at the point where friends matter. Uh, people's opinions matter. They grew up in a whole different era than me. We didn't have social media growing up. So trying to adjust to um, those things. But it's just a, a reminder. I think that if you see something, you should say something. And that's really like really how I do it. Let's say it's a summer evening. You and, and the whole fam, you're grilling for your family. What What's on the menu for you guys? Corn, corn and more corn. They really? love they love corn on the cob. Oh my goodness, they'll eat tons of it. So my kids love corn on the cob, uh, hot dogs. Uh, we're simple. Uh, my kids don't eat like me and my wife. Me and my wife eat like chefs. My kids, <laughs> they differ. Uh, they they just want some crab legs. We can get them to grill them some crab legs and some butter. They're good to go. But it's the the one legend. It's the chef of the group who usually is the one who don't want to eat nothing. It's the craziest thing ever. He doesn't like really? anything. And it's funny. He just likes to cook it. <laughs> yes. He doesn't want to eat it. So we would definitely be grilling like corn and we would do things like they eat light. Like, so they're, they're very easy eaters, except for when it comes to crab legs. My kids love crab legs and they don't know the <laughs> difference in crab legs yet. So they think every crab leg is a king crab leg. So we eat king crab okay. leg a lot in our family, even though it's snow crab legs. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> they're always snow, but every single time they eat them, they think it's king crab. We got king crab tonight. I'm like, no, we don't. But whatever you tell your friends is cool with me. <laughs> Speaking of crab, you, you have a new restaurant coming soon called the, the dripping crab, right? Is is your kid's obsession with crab the inspiration behind that restaurant? Yes, that and the fact that I remember being in New Orleans with Emerald. He had invited me down there for a while. And um, when I was there with him, he asked me, he's like, what's your favorite food? And I was like, uh, seafood. And then he's like, well, you have no seafood on your menu. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so from that day, I've been waiting for the opportunity to do seafood and the opportunity finally fit itself. And my kids love it. They ask me all the time, when is the restaurant opening? And it's just for me, you know, a lot right now, a lot of those seafood boil places are opening up all around the country. And what I wanted to do was give a chef driven version of that. So this is uh, it's not comparable to any other seafood boil. You can go get crab legs and corn and sausage and an egg with it. This is like the future of those restaurants. So I'm excited to expose people to what those type of restaurants could be if a chef owned them. What is it about Louisville, Kentucky that is so special to you? Oh, it's my home. It's the best. I I couldn't tell you as much as we want to move, like not that we want to move, but as much as we like dream of one day living in Florida or something like that, there's never a day that says we want to leave Louisville. Um, it's just a good place. It's good people. It's good food. It's competitive. And it's a good market. I started here. And then once since I was young, I've always felt like something big was going to happen in Louisville. I didn't think I would be the big thing, but if something big would happen out here. <laughs> and, um, it's just been a great place for me. The city supports it. And it's just it's crazy. Like if you can see this, the effect of Super Chef on Louisville, you would be amazed that I wasn't an athlete or something <laughs> or a musician. Cause that's the kind of response we get from people are what you see from musicians and artists and celebrity, like actors and stuff like that. The way they've embraced our, uh, our identity and food. Darnell has been one busy guy lately. Coming up next, we talk all about his appearances on chop next gen grill of victory and tournament of champions.
Well, you are a super chef and you are quickly becoming a superstar on Food Network. You are on so many shows right now. And I said earlier, you've said that you want to dominate food television. I think you're well on your way. Uh, let's talk about Chopped Next Gen first on Discovery+. Plus. I love the concept. The The culinary innovation on that show is is very mind-blowing. What is it like judging those types of dishes that are so forward-thinking? It's like, I'd imagine it's like LeBron James judging a slam dunk contest. It's like, <laughs> it, it fits him. It's like, he would know. If anybody would know, he would. So for me, it was like, I was home. I was, first of all, so happy he didn't ask me to compete. I was like, oh my goodness, thank you, God. Because uh, <laughs> this kind of show is made for like my style of food. So yeah. I thought that they would be like, you know, Darnell's like a next gen type of chef. Like he's like the the younger age. Like I thought they were going to ask me to compete. So when they asked me to judge, I was so happy. And I felt like it was an honor. And I wanted to make sure that I gave those chefs the feeling that uh, I had when when I when I when I compete. So it was so cool to do that, man, to be in front of those young chefs and um, kind of see myself with them still today. So I, di- I didn't feel like I was above them. I felt like I was just waiting. Uh, so it was so cool, man. The, the food they did was great, man. I love the ube. Um, it was the ube panna cotta. That's what it was. It was delicious though, man. They were, the personalities were great. You could see their excitement. They were way more prepared than I was the first time I went on guys grocery games, which was the first time I ever competed. <laughs> like I was nervous. They didn't seem nervous. It's like they were ready for this. It's like, it was different. It's like, I don't know if it's like growing up with social media makes you more ready for uh, social things, but they were ready, man. It was so cool to watch them and see them and they performed. The set on the show is also just gorgeous. It's outdoors. Um, was was that because you were shooting during the pandemic or was that kind of the, the plan all along? First of all, that set was uh, paradise there, man. Like that was that was a beautiful set. The weather was perfect. The food was cooking. Oh, my goodness, man. That was beautiful. I couldn't I was never expecting that. I was expecting what I seen on Chopped to be inside the building <laughs> yeah. somewhere. So when they say, oh, no, what's outside? I said, what do you mean it's outside? Like we're outside shooting. And I seen the set. I was like, OK, this is going to be a good time. Well, it looked like a good time. Did you have any like fun behind the scenes stories that you can share from from filming? Me and May went at it one time over who should win the show. Like we went over for like 30 minutes. We were a disagreement. <laughs> like it, it was cool because it was like, that's the moment I wanted. That's what I wanted to do with my career is I wanted to fight for what I thought food should be like. And she fought for what she thought food should be like. And it was kind of food. It was kind of cool because none of us disagreed with each other. We just thought that we were right. Uh, he's like, like, no, you're not making a, what you're saying is true, but you're overseeing what I'm saying, which trumps that one. Uh, so it was kind of fun for me and May to go back and forth because she's from Top Chef. You know, I'm more from, uh, you know, Food Network. So it's kind of cool to see my view on food is like the creativeness, like how you push the elements. Like I, you can't be perfect on any competition show. Sometimes you are. I want to be. But you, you'll say it's your first time doing the dish. Right. So whereas May is more about the execution. Me, I'm more about the possibilities like did you actually take the risk did you actually try something we haven't seen where she was like well what you put on my plate was this uh so i was it was it was kind of fun man it was good to like make those friendships yeah no i love that because you guys are obviously like very passionate about it and and wanting to you know kind of promote what what you feel is super important you know in this in this next generation going forward um if you were to compete i know you're excited to judge would you rather compete on chopped like the original or chopped next gen 
Oh my goodness. That's easy. Next gen for sure. And don't be taking this as an invite either. Uh, <laughs> before I know, I get an email from somebody trying to have me next year on there. But no, it would definitely be uh, next gen. Next Oh man, easy too, man. Because next gen, the, I'm all about the possibilities, like seeing food differently, giving it to people in ways they haven't seen it yet. Like that's my whole style of urban eclectic that I created was this food that people can relate to, but it's in ways they've never seen it before. So the innovation, the creativity, like put me on next gen for sure. Well, let's talk about grill of victory as well, because that was also uh, shot outdoors. You've got three home cooks on each episode competing for the outdoor grill setup of their dreams. Um, how much fun was it to judge that that show with the amateurs? Well, by nature, just to get this out there in the world, that was my first time ever judging. So oh. even though even though it didn't come on first, it was my first <laughs> time ever judging. So uh, it was different um, because my first time judging, I wasn't judging professionals. So therefore you the things you want to say, you have to second guess yourself to say, should you say that or should you not say that? <laughs> They're at home cooks. Uh, so it was good. But the thing about it is the food they produce was like they were chefs. So therefore it was easy to judge. You know, if they were putting together food that was like, oh my goodness, like it was so simple. They just put salt and pepper on the chicken and grilled it. I'd have been like, okay, but this wasn't that, man. This guy did something with spam one time. I was like, what in the world? Like, how do you even think <laughs> of doing that? Uh, so it was fun. And and it was it was it was so cool, man. Sabin and Tregay uh, and everybody I got to work with, they were so and they knew it was my first time. So therefore, they were so like helping, like making sure that they would start conversations because, you know, you don't know. I don't know how to play the game. Yet. I'm like, do I talk yet? Do I not talk? So it was like <laughs> they, they made sure that for my first time judging, it was so comfortable for me. Uh, well, it sounds like you're a fast learner. So I'm sure you, you picked it up pretty quickly. You mentioned, you know, you have judged both professionals and amateurs now. I mean, do you feel like you kind of judge them differently and, and kind of take different things into consideration when you're when you're giving them feedback? I do. I, I got to judge them differently from the standpoint, not the food, though. The food gets judged evenly, like the food that you okay. put up. But what I judge on professionals is totally different than because my stance on judging, my first look at judging is always from a competitive standpoint. How did you compete? How, how did you do as far as like with your time, with how you did things, how your game plan was, what you put on the plate versus what you could have did? Like, so I'm judging first from a competition standpoint point because that's where I come from. So therefore when it's at home cooks, I'm not giving them the same things. Like you should have did this and this like you've never worked in a restaurant before. You know nothing about doing that. Uh, whereas the chefs, you know better. You know you shouldn't have did that to that. Uh, you know you should have seared that off. You should have fried it first. You know like those are different ways of judging but for me, my way of judging is just to always have a smile. I always try to encourage them in a way that makes them feel like you can do this, but you just didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of my favorite parts of the show was also seeing, you know, their outdoor kitchens come to life. It was sort of like HGTV meets Food Network. Um, so I'm curious what the outdoor kitchen of your dreams would look like. And do you already have it? No, I don't have it at all. Now, one, I don't even have a grill. So that's how much I don't really? have. Yeah, I don't even have a grill. So... My outdoor dream kitchen would have all industrial kitchen equipment in there. Like everything I have in my restaurant, I would have outdoors. Flat top, grill, fryer, uh, stove top. No ovens, though, because if I'm grilling, I don't need an oven. Uh, but I would have a smoker, though. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I would have uh, like beer on tap. 
you know, a wine dispenser. It's like, cause you got to have a good time. You have some music playing, TV up, everything. Cause what people don't get in the kitchen, which I want to show people is, is how we roll once it's time to start pushing out tickets. Like if you can hear the music that's playing, how everyone's in their zone, like that's a big part of cooking. So first off, when people ask me, Oh, how you make this recipe? I was like, well, make sure you, you're like, you're not in your kitchen. Like, and it's like as quiet as like a, you can hear a pin drop. Uh, make sure you're like in there comfortably first, like have something going on that's going to make you in a good spirit. Cause cooking is a lot of how you feel. You can always taste something that wasn't cooked by somebody who, who likes to be there. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your own grilling skills? I mean, you said you don't even have a grill, so I don't even know if this is a fair question, but I'm sure you, you can hold your own. Yeah. Well, I, I also don't have a basketball, but I'm an all-star in that too. Uh, so <laughs> I would say, um, I would probably say probably like a 12 out of 10. I can grill. Wow, okay. oh, I don't, right. I don't have a grill now. I've had them in okay. the past and I'm not home as much in the sense of like, yeah outdoors like because it's cicada season out here in louisville if you know what i'm talking uh, about yeah so i don't even want to be outside uh but it's uh <laughs> but i could definitely grill it's an art to grilling and that's why when they ask me to judge a grilling show i'm like oh i know all about it you know uh because we do it in restaurants and i've done it just outside growing up grilling is always something you've done at the parks and that you've done growing up so i understand it mm-hmm. uh well from judge to competitor we of course have to talk about Tournament of Champions. You competed on both seasons of the show, and we obviously have to revisit season one where you pulled off an insane upset, one that Guy Fieri called the biggest upset in culinary history. You were an eight seed. You went up against Iron Chef Alex Gornichelli. She was the number one seed from the East Coast. So describe that feeling when you found out you were moving on to the next round. Uh, I was excited as I could be inside. But I told myself I wouldn't show it uh, until I left <laughs> because when it happened, I felt bad because I like Alex so much. And yeah. she took a big risk about going against me. I think she kind of knew what was possible going against me. She's judged me before and I didn't it wasn't excitement. I had so much respect for her that I didn't even enjoy the moment that much until right. after I got off the stage. When I got off the stage, it was good to go. But when I was on there, uh, I, I couldn't wait, man. Like I could, I couldn't believe it. No one could believe it though. It's crazy. The part is that everyone was shocked, not just me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it's like, oh, like so. Everyone when I'm walking away is has the same like amazement I have. So everyone's energy is just in this crazy place. And when I see the the other chefs the next day, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't. We we can't believe it. But great job, man. Like, I mean. I, I didn't celebrate on TV. Like, if you look at my face, I didn't celebrate that much because of the respect mm-hmm. I have for Alex and the fact that she is such a top dog and she went into this competition where I feel like a lot of people who were in her position said no. So therefore, I wanted to make sure I showed a lot of respect to her in that sense. And and, I, and now that can like come back next year, I'm pretty sure I'll be a two seed. So if I get upset, I don't want nobody jumping up and down on my face. That's true. That's true. That's <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and also, I don't think I was in my best game that day. And I think that when you know you won, but you weren't your best, it's not really much to celebrate for me. Mm. Um, I thought I could be so much better than I was. And that was part of it is that I was like, man, I didn't do this right. I was was so nervous, though. Like, I had never been that nervous competing. And Alex got the best of me um, because of the whole we went last. They, like, built it up. It was Uh. such a trauma-filled time before we went, you know, the David versus Goliath. And it was a lot going on that they, they kind of like made it feel like what it was. And when I won, I couldn't believe it though. I'm like, 
man, I just could not, I couldn't believe it happened. <laughs> but you, you, I mean, you're a competitive guy. You're a confident guy. I have to imagine you, you still had a lot of confidence going in that you could do it or, or was it a surprise to you as well? No, I knew I could do it, but I didn't think I did my best dish. So I beat her with not my best dish. Um, whereas when I went to the next round against Amanda, I, I was on all cylinders that, that round. Uh, I just forgot the fry bread. So therefore I ended up losing, <laughs> you know, and then now I never can hear the end of that. Like I could be in the Vegas strip walking and someone, oh, that's darn out for Super Chef. Like, hey, don't forget the fry bread. You know, like it never, <laughs> ever stops. Like people will always let me know about the fry bread, even though they don't, may not even know what fry bread is. Uh, <laughs> but that's amazing. The, Alex started everything. And now, you know, season two happened. And, and then it was like, I felt so comfortable coming back season two. Like I came back a whole different person. I was literally like 45 pounds bigger. I was better. I was more confident. Um, I came back a whole different like person. Like I ate my old self and was like, let me show you something different. It is an intense show. I mean, you've got the randomizer, you've got blind judging. So what are your keys to success when it comes to these competitions and specifically tournament of champions? Oh man, there's no key. There is nothing you can do about this, man. You got, you got to be adapt to whatever because the worst thing you can do is try to have a game plan or have something you can do or will do. And what the randomizer will do is give you the exact thing you'd never wanted to have on that list. And it's going to give you the time you didn't think you could do it in. And it's going to give you something like, it's always something, man. Like they should, and it's like, I wish there was a way that you could like win something. So you'd be like, okay, you won last round in this amount of points. So that this round, you cannot use one of these sections. You know, like <laughs> it's a, it's, it's like, cause you look at it like, oh, it doesn't look that bad. Or, well, I think for most people it looks bad, but it's a, it is an animal. And the further you get, the worse that animal becomes. Yes. Cause even in the last round with Manit, what most people don't know is that I had never, I, I, I didn't even know what sturgeon was. So to have to <laughs> compete with it, like literally, I asked, I said, what is it? Uh, you know what I'm <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, it's fish. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what it was because we don't, what restaurants cooking sturgeon? No restaurants yeah. cooking sturgeon. They eat, you know, you know, it's usually known for its caviar, but no one's eating the fish that often ever. So therefore, that was an obstacle within itself. Um, and then to get like hot and cold, you needed to be hot, but then we need to be frozen. I'm like, <laughs> it just never stops for me, but it definitely pushed me to be something else. What is your randomizer kryptonite? If, if you have one, is it the sturgeon or is it, or is, did you see something else on there that, that you would never want to touch? No, it's the first, it's the first round. The first round for me is the hardest because okay. it gives you like stuff like, like skirt steak or not even skirt steak. It'd be something like, beef chuck like what do you do with beef chuck like you know what i'm saying like you make roast beef it's like the <laughs> simplest things will get you and it's like even though like me and tiffany we had like whole chicken it's like okay you have to think like she used both parts of a chicken whereas for me i just use the legs everybody said oh that's not smart to use a leg but for me it's like well man if i cook two different types of chicken and one's not cooked perfectly they're gonna say oh you should just use one you didn't have to use the whole thing yeah i feel like that's always you know like what happens it's like you know they a chef does one thing really well and tries to do it two ways. And that's always, that's always their downfall. So it was, I think that was a, a smart move on your part. We want to wrap up with a, a few rapid fire questions. And then we have one, one last question that we ask everybody here on food network obsessed. So uh, are you ready? Ready yes. for the rapid fire? I promise. Ready. Easy. <laughs> All right. Waffles or pancakes? Waffles. 
Cinnamon uh, okay, Toast Crunch honor- Waffles, too. That's my favorite Ooh, kind of restaurant. Yes, I saw that on your menu. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that looked awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. In honor of Grill of Victory, hot dog or burger? Oh, hot dog. Burnt hot dog, though. Not just a regular hot dog. You got to have a little I agree on with you. Burnt hot dog is the way to go. 100%. If you could only have one kitchen appliance, what would it be? Oh, one kitchen appliance. It would just be a, I just need a burner, like a saute burner. I can make everything okay. happen on that burner. I can fry, I can <laughs> boil, I can bake. I can do everything on a burner. Uh, late night snack of choice. Late night snack of choice is um, ice cream. Popsicles okay. and ice cream. What flavor of ice cream? Yesterday it was uh, like this mint chip, but it was, I had like little pieces of like cookie in there, like chocolate cookie and fudge. Oh, okay. It was like a mint chip with fudge and cookies. It was off the hook. All right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Since you are a super chef, who is your favorite superhero? I mean, out of respect to the name, uh, if it's not Superman, we got a lot of issues going on here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I should call myself the spider chef or the iron chef, uh, not the super <laughs> chef. I, the super chef, though, like Superman, he should have changed his name to something else. <laughs> you said Superman should change his name. <laughs> no, so it was Superman, but it used to be Thor. Thor used to be my okay. favorite until they cut his hair. It was like, ah, okay. no, no, no more. <laughs> no more. Uh, favorite show on Food Network? Oh, guys, grocery game still. Yeah. Yeah, my, my favorite show. All right. Well, this has been so much fun. I love talking to you. But before we go, one last question. Mm-hmm. What would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, can time travel, um, travel to different countries in between meals, spend however much money you want. There are no rules. It is your perfect food day and the floor is yours. Breakfast. I would have breakfast on the beach, just like a nice smoked salmon omelet, Uh, but like hot smoke, not cold smoke. I don't like locks. You know, it would definitely be um, the smoked salmon omelet on the beach. I would have lunch in uh, Philly and have a Philly cheesesteak. Where are you going for your cheesesteak? Oh my gosh, I can't even pronounce it right now. You asked me too fast. It's oh, not sorry. one of the ones you would think either. Like D'Alessandro's? No, it's called or... Ab- Abba. Oh, I know which one you're, t- like it's Ibba. Yeah, yeah Ibba Bull. Is it Ishtabulls? I don't know. I think it's Ibba Bull. I know so, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It would be there. Think... And for dinner, I would be in Las Vegas getting some grilled garlic parmesan oysters from the oyster bar inside of the Harris because we eat those like, oh my gosh, you could understand. They're so good. <laughs> and then I would finish it off with some, some good, uh, slushies because I like, like alcoholic slushies. That's your dessert. You're, you're drinking your dessert. No, 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 no. That's just the alcohol. The dessert is oh, a whole different ball the- game. I want, gel- <laughs> I want gelato for dessert. Uh, <laughs> Gelato, creme brulee, or uh, cake. Well, that sounds like a a delightful uh, food day. And we so appreciate you taking the time to share your stories and just um, the way you've gotten to where you are is so inspiring. And best of luck in the future and continued success in your super chef, superhero, uh, dominate food television quest. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day as well. And I'll, I'll see you on the network soon. I so enjoyed meeting Darnell and hearing all about his unique journey to becoming a fan favorite on Food Network. For more of Darnell, you can catch him judging Grill of Victory Mondays at 10, 9 central on Food Network and also on Chopped Next Gen, which is streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. As always, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review. We do love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. 